Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hey audience and listeners this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing podcast. Today I have an awesome guest uh, his name is Ronnie Philip. Ronnie is from Dallas part of uh, Kinkley Acquisitions who owns almost 572 right now asset under management and focusing a lot in Atlanta and uh, Texas right Texas market in San Antonio. Say hey Ronnie welcome to the show. James it's uh, an honor to be on your podcast. So thanks, <laughs> thanks. so much for having me. Thanks for coming in. I always like to bring people who are able to add value to our audience. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know you personally, and uh, I think we met like uh, three or four years ago, if I'm, or maybe two years ago, I can't remember, but we know pretty for the past few years. And, uh, you know, I'm just impressed with all the mindset and the progress that you have made, you know, being in, you know, uh, mid-20s, right? So, and you're doing big things. So why not you tell our audience about yourself, whatever I missed out then, uh, you know, something about yourself uh, before we get started into the more detailed topics. Okay, great. So I guess we can start off from my very beginning of my real estate career. I started in 2015. I dropped out of college when I was 21 years old. Uh, end of 2015, um, my background is uh, medical, actually. So I've done a lot of things in the medical field from home health to working at hospitals and then pharmacy. And uh, I was applying for pharmacy school end of 2015. And then I realized uh, the job market back then was really tough. So people weren't able to get jobs full time in pharmacy. So by the time I would graduate, which would have been this year, 2020, I just didn't feel like that the outlook would have been great. And uh, I was right. A lot of my friends who are in uh, pharmacy, unfortunately, aren't able to obtain jobs. So uh, I think one gift God's given me is uh, foresight. So I was able to see that. So that's when I got into residential real estate as an agent. So I started off as an agent, um, helping people buy and sell homes, and then went into flipping houses You know, with investors. Just kind of went from there. So helped uh, my dad. Uh, with flipping houses. So pretty much from finding the deal to rehab everything from start to finish. And uh, that was pretty good. And then I realized those two businesses weren't scalable. So uh, end of 2016, I realized I need to find a different way to create wealth because you can't build up a residential real estate team as an agent for like a major brokerage and then sell it for a good equity multiple. I realized that because a few of my friends did that. And uh I wanted to build something I can build up and sell and something that's backed by real, true, hard assets. And I saw in the single family space that wasn't scalable as well. So I decided um, June 2017, I formed Kingling Acquisitions and I was like, okay, I'm going to end of 2017, I'm going to finish out my residential stuff and then 
only focus on multifamily and moving forward. So, and that's when I met you. I met you at a conference, you know, and uh, we became friends and uh, the whole story from there, you know, I remember literally a month after a conference, you posted in a Facebook group, hey, I need, uh, there's an opportunity to learn, like do due diligence and stuff, right? So I drove down to San Antonio and then helped you on one of your uh, acquisitions from lease auditing to unit walks. And I learned quite a lot. And uh, it's crazy, like, a, I think probably less than a year and a half later, I closed on my first uh, deal in, uh, first deal in Texas, that would be my third deal, 208 units in San Antonio. So I think the power of visualization is real. So that's yeah. kind of my, my background. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you have gone a lot. So I want to go back to the beginning and also make sure that I don't miss out, you know, some of the details that you have given. Is this your first podcast? Multifamily? I think so. Oh, I don't think awesome. I've done any awesome. other interviews. I've interviewed a lot of people. I know you have interviewed a lot side. of people. Now you're being yeah. interviewed by me. <laughs> yeah. So Ronnie used to have a, a maybe he still has it. It's a, it's a TV show, right? Uh, I can't remember. What's yeah, the I have name two. Of yeah, he uh, had the, two, right? So I mean, he yeah, has the a really Ronnie Phillips show. Uh-huh. The Ronnie Phillips and then show, the right? commercial cash flow show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he does a really good job interviewing people, but now he's getting interviewed, so it's my turn right now. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so I think one thing that I, I you know, I want to make sure that the audience and listeners understand uh, when Ronnie says that I posted in a Facebook group, um, I basically posted for help or due diligence for one of our property in San Antonio. And that group was like 20,000 people. And while that group, uh, 20,000 people, is actually a multifamily Facebook group where all the 20,000 people want to invest in multifamily, everybody want to do it. But there's only one person who said, okay, I'm going to come down tomorrow, right? Not because he's in San Antonio, he's in Dallas. And I'm sure there's thousands of people out of that 20,000 from Dallas and California, even from San Antonio. But, you know, the burning desire to really learn, you know, it's only being shown by the people who are really serious, right? I mean, as I said, there's 20,000 people in that group. Everybody want to be multifamily uh, investor. But when someone tell them that, hey, there's a free training here, come down. I'm going to give you guys a free training. That's what exactly I mentioned in my in my post. I say I did help with some due diligence. You guys come, you can learn. This is real hands-on. And But I, I start seeing everybody giving reason. Oh, I got something tomorrow. I got something today. And I don't want to do I wish and I'm San Antonio. Well, I mean, to be really successful in life, you have to take action and you have to make the move. And and that's why Ronnie, you know, now, you know, he's owning like almost 572 units because he took the action, right? So if all any of you listening who thinks that you want to be a multifamily investor, who love to be a multifamily investor, really ask yourself whether you really want to be or not. Because people who really want to be would take action and would, you know, take the first step, right? Especially when I was giving a free training, it's an it's a on-site training. No gurus out there teaches on-site due diligence, right? Everybody take a tour bus, a bus tour, go and show you the outside. This is what we buy. They show you the number on Excel. They do two-day conference and <laughs> they sell all kinds of courses, right? But I was saying, hey, come and sh- I'll show you the real stuff and people didn't want to do it. So, so I'm just saying that, you know, when someone said they really want to do something, most of the time they really do not want to do it. I mean, they just don't have the burning desire. But people who have burning desire, I mean, the people that you have seen out there who has been very successful, they have taken the action. They really, really have a a burning desire. So that doesn't mean you can't change your wants to a burning desire. You can. Just make sure you go deep into yourself and ask whether you really want to do it or not. So I just want to uh, give a credit to you because uh, I remember very clearly when I post 
my requests in that group where we had like almost 20 now i think that group is like 30000 people now out of 20000 maybe five people responded giving reasons and one person said i'm coming tomorrow and that was you <laughs> right and i'm yeah. sure you really learned a lot on that day right when you come right oh it was uh, absolutely um, a great learning experience and that helped me not only in in the tangible skill sets you know the property walk what to look for exteriors you know interior walks lease auditing all those different things help me get to really understanding when i go and do my own deal what to look for and uh it's just crazy like a little over a year later i closed on my own property in san antonio which is it just blows my mind i own in san antonio now yeah, you know yeah absolutely i mean yeah you have to take action you know once you take action you should be able to you know get get somewhere rather right? than just talking right so there's no point of doing that So you had a good foresight uh, that you know if you graduate this year 2020 right uh, it's going to be a bad year for any jobs right now right? because we have like almost what 30 million people right now unemployed 20 or 30 million people but it's a lot of people unemployed and it's just not the best market for any jobs right now and what was the biggest issue that you saw in single families you said not scalable not able to sell is that is that the biggest one and how many single family did you worked on before saying that multifamily is the way to go and how did you get that aha moment that multifamily yeah so um i guess on both sides coming from the agent side and on the uh, investment side not sure the number of transactions well over 20 i would say i think uh just realizing on the agent side when you build up a real estate sales team and you become an agent and you're having like 30 40 people working for you and the revenue is like on a 1.5 million right as far as commission you can't really sell that uh, you can't sell that team for any money like i know one friend he was the top agent in a major market right Mul- uh, i saw multiple case studies phoenix north carolina and then alaska and they sold their businesses between 80 to 120,000 mm-hmm. something that they built for 6 years yeah and i was shocked <laughs> and then maybe that some you know a two year referral fee and stuff and then when i realized i went all in i joined a mastermind dropped like 12 grand on a mastermind and i was like 22 it's not like i had just a ton of money lying around but Correct. i invested myself to accelerate growth and i've always done that in expansion mode especially in our 20s like it's really important to be in expansion mode so i realized on that side that that's not scalable and then when i started uh flipping you know doing you know a few projects a year i'd say probably 3 or 4 but those 3 or 4 projects like doing everything right man managing the general contractor you know sometimes doing sub subcontracting trying to trying to get the project together sourcing materials finding deals being on wholesalers list i literally used to get 100 emails a day and i got sick of it i got sick of it and uh i realized like could i have scaled up business yeah but did i want to no because uh i think it was after after going to that conference and meeting you I came to the realization that hey this is actually something as scalable if you can work hard and it takes the same amount of effort to do a big deal as it is to do a small deal so that that's from a book called what it takes uh pursuit to excellence by Steve Schwarzman he's the co-founder of Blackstone mm-hmm. so uh I realized it wasn't uh scalable when it came to that so I just thought like whenever you build a business like can you build it up to sell it and if you can't why are you in the business you know it's like let's just say something happens to me and or or whatever right would i be able to pass this down to my family 
on the single family side and on the residential agent side, it's really, really hard to. So, so I mean, you are 26 years old, right? I mean, you probably when you started, you were 24 years old. I mean, you are looking at, I mean, so yeah, okay. So you said, forget about single family. Now I want to look at multifamily. Did you have your age has a, a limitation there? Yeah, I'm a young guy. You know, all these guys are, now how am I going to buy these multi-million dollar deals? Did you have that yeah, limitation so, on yourself and how did you overcome that? I never really look at my age as a disadvantage, to be honest. I feel like I have an advantage because like, Ask anyone, right? If you could, James, if you could go back to 26, like how much money would you pay to go back to 26? We pay a lot. <laughs> exactly, right? But that's, that's nothing no one can do, right? They can't go back in time, right? So I think as far as age goes, that was, I felt like that was an advantage. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very impressive. I mean, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of listeners out there who are listening to you, right? A lot of them are agents as well selling single family and i never understand why a lot of agents like to do transactions i mean same thing with brokers right multifamily but a lot of them just like to do transaction i mean maybe i'd not say i don't understand i can understand some people like to do transaction they don't want to take less risk because once you come to the investment side of it you're taking a huge risk so your mindset your characters your tolerance to risk is different right um i can understand why is that but I mean, with the knowledge that any agents have, they can make a lot more money coming into the investment world. Is there any advice that you want to give to any real estate agent on why they should move on to the investment world and not just do, you know, buyer's uh, agent versus seller's agent, even though that seems to be, you know, very uh, lucrative? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it all depends on your preference, right? So I think being an agent definitely has its advantages. But one thing I learned is like, if you stop being an agent, then what happens? You know what I mean? Like, where is the money you're making uh, going, right? Are you, if you're investing in properties, whether that's single family or investing passively in apartments or, you know, being a general partner on a large apartment complex, like what we're doing, you just have to really see uh, what it is. So advice for agents, let's just say, I'm going to give advice to uh, someone around my age, getting, let's just say they just got out of college, right? And they want to do what I'm doing. The path I would recommend them taking is let's just say they, you know, they're 22 right now and they just got a finance degree, right? What I would do is I'd go work at a large brokerage, right? Marcus and Milichap, CBRE, Cushman, JLL, any of these ones, right? Be an analyst, learn that side, then get into investment sales, right? And why? What are the skill sets in multifamily, right? Net worth, liquidity, track record, raising equity, sourcing deals, asset management, property management, There's, there, the list goes on, right? So I think it's building skill sets one by one by one, because whenever you're young, most likely, unless you sold a tech company, you'd have a big balance sheet of liquidity, right? Well, you have other aspects in that list of skill sets as a, as a general partner on what to do, right? So I'd start off as an analyst, uh, then go into investment sales. And why is that? You, you build the skill of underwriting, right? And keep in mind, a broker's underwriting and a principal's underwriting are almost always different, right? Mm -hmm. So do that, then get into the brokerage side and you start building relationships with owners and you want to become known, right? So become known in the, in the commercial real estate space. You can be the broker, right? Everyone, there's a lot of younger guys in the field that I really admire uh, just because their work ethic, right? So they become owners. And then what I do to transition to the GP side is I'll start investing passively into sponsors I want to partner with. 
right? For example, James, say I'm a broker, right? I'd start passively investing in your deals, right? Whether it's I'm selling you a deal or whether it's another one, right? And I would invest in markets I want to know about. San Antonio, Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, you just name it, right? Whatever market you want to be in. And I feel like that is a good uh, transition to becoming a principal. Another alternative would be trying to go work for a sponsor like James or like myself or like any of these groups out there. Uh, one thing I've learned is that is very great, right? Whenever it comes to that aspect. So that would kind of be my advice on people wanting to get into the business is understanding being a broker, it can be lucrative. Being a general partner can be lucrative. And being a pass investor can be lucrative. Study all three and, and decide which one you want to do. But there's a certain path that comes to all of them. Yeah. Right now, even I've, I've, I've uh, multifamily brokers and I've sponsors as well, investing passively with me as well. Right. So you know, there are certain reasons why they invest. But it's a good way to learn how other people operate, right? Sometimes you think you know everything, right? Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you can go and work as an analyst. You can go into the investment sales and learn how the business is done or get to know how the, the true business, right? I mean, sometimes our circle of friends or circle of influence is so small. We think this is how it's being done. But you know, I can tell you there's like three, four levels above uh, any level that you need to be able to explore and uh, able to... Uh, grasp what are the complexity right uh, and and you can really learn a lot from that levels so i mean you have you have done a lot of uh, investor uh, relationship building and you have looked at a lot of deals and you know bought some of uh, some of it and at the same time what do you look for in a deal when you look for a deal as far as uh deal wise so i'll give you our our markets uh texas and, and georgia primarily i like tennessee and uh, florida as well but I think primary focus is definitely Texas and Georgia. Primarily, we focus on uh, B and C class value add, true value add, where there's actually room for growth as far as rents go, as far as management goes. Uh, one common denominator on all the deals I'm in is there has been uh, management deficiencies. There's always ways to improve that. And the guys I've partnered with have brought property management in-house. So that definitely helps a lot as far as um, you know, making things run more efficiently. And so the markets I'm currently in are Atlanta, Georgia, specifically sub-markets, uh, Stone Mountain, and then uh, it's like East Point area, but Atlanta proper, just four miles west of the airport, and then uh, San Antonio on the Northeast side. So we're looking for pretty much every value add, right? So I think you know, it has to have a diverse, you know, employers, job growth is definitely have to be there. So those are some of the things I look for. Got it. Got it. And I also understand that you have was, you are able to bring a lot of, you know, you build a lot of connection with investors, right? Uh, you know, to raise mm -hmm. money from them and invest in this kind of deals. And I think you have tried out many different methods, uh, you know, in uh, connecting with investors who who are looking for this kind of opportunities, right? Can you uh, talk about some of the methods that you think are very efficient or most successful? And uh, what do the investors look for when they want to invest, uh, you know, like 50, 100,000 or 200,000 with you? Yeah, uh, that, I think, uh, you know, really first and foremost is caring about investors as people is really, really important. That's definitely important. As you're raising money, 
this is a mindset you actually instilled in me. Okay. And I, I didn't know any better, right? So you're just like, Ronnie, raising money is the easy part, right? So I just said, okay, raising money is easy. And that's what I'm known for is, uh, that's, that's one of my strongest skill sets in, uh, in a general partnership is, is raising the equity, right? Um, first, you got to really make sure you understand uh, what your investor wants. I think it's having like a really, really thorough process. Let's just say, hey, James, I meet you at a, at a conference, for example, right? What I'll do is I'll get you a card. I'll uh, follow up with you, you know, the, within the next day or the next week or so, right? And then uh, set up a time for a call, schedule a call, and then I just start asking them specific questions. Hey, what's your, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Um, did you invest in single family? Have you invested in, in multifamily before? Are you a cash flow investor? Is that really important to you? Or are you a value add investor? Or are you a hybrid? You know, our minimum is usually between 50 to 100. And we, you know, we do probably a deal a quarter. I uh, want to see what markets you invest in, what your capacity is, right? As far as it, because we have different types, right? And, and then, uh, you know, understanding if they're a sophisticated, uh, understanding if they're an accredited investor or not. And then I label it in my database uh, and go from there. And then uh, I'd be sure and stay in touch with them, you know, just kind of go from there. But it's building a true relationship when it comes to investors. Like one thing I always like to say is my, my friends become my investors and my investors become my friends. Okay. So it's all about building the right relationships with people and understanding what their goals are. Like, for example, let's just say my dad, he's, you know, he's in his fifties and he's retired. Right. And his primary thing is cash flow, Right. So that's a different type of investor. If I have a deep value add deal, right. He wants the cash flow, Right. Well, let's just say a younger guy like myself. Right. I like value add deals. I don't really need that much cash flow because I can take more risk right now. Right. So you have to understand what type of investor you have and then label it accordingly in your database and, and stay in touch with them. They're not just investors, they're people, you know, so that's what understanding what their long-term goals are and how can they grow uh, together? Like how can you help them grow in their uh, investment experience? How can you make it the best experience possible? What are some things we can do? Like could I do videos, you know, updates. I keep in touch with my investors, right? Every time we do a monthly um, update, say, hey, did you get it? Did you have any questions, right? So I think it's really caring about the investors as people is, is the most important thing. And really getting detail when you're having the investor call to really understand. And just go into detail, ask the hard questions. And uh, that you can, for example, let's just say you're doing a 506C offering and can only do a credit investors. Um, my CRM, I can just click accredited investor and it pulls up a list of people. And I take detailed notes of every call, right? And a lot of people I've seen who have struggles in raising equity don't take the time to really understand who their investor is. And then also understanding, hey, which markets do they invest in? Some of my investors, Texas only, right? Some are like, hey, as long as it's you know the same type of criteria. And then you have to understand what, ask them what their expectations are cash flow, returns, IRR, equity multiple, whole time, right? Ask them that first and then say, hey, this is what our acquisition criteria is and then see if it matches. 
It's very interesting. So let me break it down a bit more because I think it's very important for any you know people who are looking at raising money from others to understand and also for passive investor. I mean, you want to look for sponsors who are really asking all these questions because it shows that they care about you, right? I mean, so what you're saying is ask them about you know themselves at the same time ask about their investment goals, whether it's cash flow, uh, you know, whether it's equity multiple or they're trying to do a, you know. Uh, multiply that their equity right uh, for you know value add uh, investors i guess so just keep on going into details of what is the understanding i think that people know that you really care about them you're trying to just understand you know what's their objective in 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 investing with you or investing with in real estate right that's that's very that's a very uh, valuable method that you have just uh, let us know yeah i just think it's really important for people to do that up front uh, because as you get let's just say you go to a conference you get 20 business cards right you can't just keep those stacked for a while there's like a certain amount of time where it just becomes like it just becomes awkward to follow up after like 2 or 3 months or whatever right <laughs> so i think follow up following up immediately after you uh, talk to them is really really important and then and then getting a, a time to set things up and making sure you have uh, everything uh, tracked so that way you can just really understand what their goals are hey I'm, I'll be ready to invest in Q4. I'll have a full, few full deals that sell at the end of the year. Oh, I'm ready to invest now, right? Because some people want to invest with you, but they can't because they're not liquid. So that's another thing to understand is your investor's timeline. Correct, correct, correct. I think just keeping that relationship is just so important, right? People appreciate you and they know that you're serious and they just have that, that trust with you, right? I mean, uh, end of the day, we are trying to have a win-win situation where they are trying to find an opportunity and as a sponsor you know you are trying to raise the money for your investment deal so that's, and that's also an, another point i'd like to add is mm -hmm. i'm not raising money from investors i'm providing them an opportunity to invest Absolutely. right because i think it's a, a different mindset whenever you feel like you're raising money which you essentially are right you don't want to come off as desperate you can say right because there's there's actually only a few limited spots on on the deals like our our deals fill up uh, relatively fast right even like the the San Antonio deal i mean that was the fastest raise i've ever done <laughs> like it was just it was every deal is so different right so it's just understanding that and then not putting pressure on investors like say hey you know let us know like we even had a deal we had under contract uh during covid right and uh very, very large deal, very large equity raise. And, uh, you know, I was raising money for that one. Everything was, you know, going well and stuff. And then, then the whole shutdown happened. Right. And, uh, then people started messaging me and say, Hey, I want to invest in the deal, but I'm not sure what my business is going to look like in the next few months or whatever. I said, no problem. Whenever you're ready, just, just let me know. So it's not being you shouldn't be pressuring whenever it comes to uh, um, uh, talking with investors, but you also have to let, have a sense of urgency as well. So it's a, a healthy balance. Uh, yeah, it's a skill by itself. I mean, not a skill. It's it's just a gift by itself, right? On how you communicate to the investors, and and people love that, right? When you are being open and direct and honest about it, it's, it's just how the uh, raising money. Uh, communication works with the investors right so you have been into a lot of due diligence of properties is there any due diligence that uh, you thought was like hmm, i didn't think about that that's very interesting aspect of the deal 
or something that you learned uh, during due diligence that <laughs> you want to share with our audience? As far as due diligence goes, I think it's really, really important to have the right team. So the guys I've I've partnered with the past three deals, it's the same core group, right? I think all of us have complementary skill sets and getting things done. Even having them having property manager in-house, like when we're do, do, doing due diligence on a deal we had under contract earlier this year, it helped a lot. Everything was in-house. We had the lease blocks and stuff. So I think it's really making sure you have the right team as far as deal specific on one of the deals is like the stab blocks. So oh, really? realizing found, how a deal with stab expensive. <laughs> yeah. I haven't so, found it. I know about it. I mean, just for the audience, a uh, stab lock is actually a, a circuit breaker, electric circuit breaker, which can cause a fire to be, you know, easily triggered. Right. And the insurance mm-hmm. for it is expensive. And, and sometimes the lenders can give problem when you have stab lock, uh, but you know, when you know, you, it's a it's a very subtle uh, way of uh, you have to really know when you're doing due diligence to look for this kind of things. So, go ahead. Uh, you're saying about this? Yeah, and, and so having like an experienced team. Yeah, so I I just uh, I just thought that was uh, surprising, you know, because mm. I've done due diligence on many of your deals, many of my own, uh, many for other sponsors, and uh, there's always something new. Uh, when it comes to that, but I think having the right team, like having a construction uh, team on site, all the different trades, do everything in one day. Ideally, if it's like a 200 unit deal, usually it'll take like a day. If it's like more than that, it'll probably take like two days, right? So that step lock uh, breakers was found by the sponsors or was it found by the inspector? Because it's very tricky to find that. Both find it. Yeah. Was it like you guys uh, didn't know when before buying the deal? Only when you walk it, you they I, must be, I'm right? I'm not sure on that. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, must be. They didn't uh, tell you. <laughs> yeah. don't tell you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we found that and then, you know, that's that's being addressed. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I think that's uh, important. And uh, so, so, also I mean, like I just, lease auditing. Go ahead. Before, before I go to the lease audit, I mean, I just want to make sure that I, you know, I communicate this to brokers who are listening. Please let any major things that you already know uh, you know, to any buyer who's coming and visiting, you want to let them know because you do not want to, you know, them get caught after the day one hard money. You know, right? I've seen brokers who, you know, hide things from from me, right? And I don't really appreciate it because it's like you're trying to trap us into <laughs> into a day one hard money, and now you cannot get out, right? I mean, if you find out about the step lock breakers later on, I mean, I've walked properties on my own, my me single guy with a broker, and I told him, hey, this has this property has a step lock, and uh, I do not know whether they know or not, but I'm surprised that they, they didn't know. I mean, these are experienced brokers. These are not like newbies, right? And, and I would really appreciate any brokers, uh, step log, any asbestos, right? On the drywall, please let, let us, please let the buyers know so that we can get the transaction close smoothly rather than having a surprise. So we don't feel like we got caught by the brokers. And of course, brokers can say they didn't know, right? But if they didn't know, uh, I mean, I question their experience level, right? Their credibility and... And, and same with sellers. I mean, the buyers also want to have a long-term relationship with brokers. So we really, really appreciate, you know, brokers letting the buyers uh, or sponsors know all the issues with the property so that when we buy, we are going on a smooth sailing, especially now with pre-COVID. I mean, post-COVID right mm-hmm. now, right? We're in a buyer's market. And day one had money. So last year, yeah, you want to make sure you tell everything so that transaction goes smooth. Come back to you. Yeah, I think transparency is key. I was just going to add on like lease auditing, having the right... Mm-hmm property management team uh, like 
the guys I've co GP'd with, they have a person like 20 plus years of experience. So time is something that they have, right? So I think um, as, far, as far as experience goes, so having the right uh, team is really, really important. And then focus on what you're strong at. And then what you're not so good at are still learning have other people on on the team be able to take care of that. Got it, got it, got it. Is there any proud moment in your life until now? I mean, I know you're still 26, but at least you have like three, four years of multifamily experience, right? Uh, or real estate experience. Is there any proud moment in your life that you think that, oh, I, I, cannot, I cannot forget that until the end? Yeah, closing my first deal. That okay. was probably something I'll remember forever. It was a uh, bad deal was a uh, 212 units in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, it's crazy is between my first deal and my second deal. I think it's probably less than less than three weeks between my first closing and my second closing. Cause we both uh, under con that was kind of uh, interesting. So, and then uh, signing my first Fannie Mae loan on my first deal. That was uh, pretty cool. So having that, having that experience. So I think doing the first deal is always the hardest. And then doing the second one, it gets a little bit easier. The second one's like a bridge loan. And then every deal is so different. I think it's about being consistent, doing transactions and doing quality deals. Like like all our deals, certain uh, the values have gone up because we bought it at a right price, you know? So that was probably what I'm most proud of. And then, you know, just continuing to grow. You know, I just don't think it's normal. Like my 2019 did 500 and 72 units, uh, three transactions. I thought that was pretty good. But knowing that the uh, it doesn't stop there, right? I want to continue growing and you know partnering with uh, quality people like yourself or the guys I've partnered with is really important. So that was probably what I've been I'm most proud of. So where do you see yourself five years and 10 years from now? So five-year goal, I do more of like by time I'm 30 goals. So we'll mm-hmm. just do that. So time I'm 30, I'm 26 now. I want to be top 50 NMHC owners, a billion in assets under management by the time I'm 30. As far as a 10-year goal, I want my uh, multifamily business to always be the, the foundation, but I really want to grow into the private equity space and you know raising a fund and, and buying deals. Like I'd love to raise like a billion dollar fund, an equity fund, and you know provide jo- uh, joint venture equity to other sponsors and different things like that. But there's levels and, and to everything. And you know, obviously doing new development construction. So, and then being able to give, I think that's really important. Like, uh, especially for people either not wanting to go to college or transitioning out of it. What is that step? Like, maybe I can create some sort of internship program at uh, the Kingly Group and Kingly Acquisitions and help people get into multifamily, especially when they're young. And then, you know, being able to give back, right? Uh, I think that's really important. Building an orphanage in India, like that's one of my goals. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I think giving back is really important because we can make all this money and we can do all these things and have all these units, but uh, having a direct impact on your residents, on your partners, on, you know, just people in general is really important to me. Got it. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So, uh, Ronnie, why don't you tell our audience and listeners, uh, how to get in touch with you? Yeah. So, uh, best way to reach out to me is any social media. You can just Search Ronnie Phillip on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. And uh, we'll we'll go from there. And if you all have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm pretty open, transparent guy. And, awesome. uh, and you can also find me on YouTube. Uh, Ronnie Phillip's my YouTube channel. So I'll start doing a lot of different blogs day to day as a young 
apartment investor. So those are the best ways to reach me. And I'm sure you have my contact info on the show notes. So yeah, I mean, uh, we'll make sure we put that in. Um, so thanks for coming in. Sure, you added tons of value for a lot of uh, people who are trying to get started or already been started. I've started in this family investing. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.